Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage, live outrage. from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about, time for Mortgage Matters. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks much for sticking around. It's nice to know that we have a little bit of list- listenership hanging on from the uh, Motor Mouth show. We've, see, we've not really enjoyed that benefit because typically what happens here is some commercial comes on that nobody wants to hear and everybody changes their dial or, you know. So now, here we are. We're going to urge you guys, uh, by way of good talk radio, to sit around and keep listening. I got a line here. Uh-oh. I just talked about cleansing on that show. We cleansed them out of there. There you go. This hour. They're cleansed good. out of the 9 o'clock hour. <laughs> nice. Hey, well, guys, uh, if you're wondering what's going on now and why this isn't the mega krill oil colon cleansing hour... Um, <laughs> My name is Jason Grody, and my business partner here is Dan Podesto, and we've been doing a show that generally starts an hour later than this show starting today. Uh, we finally procured this earlier spot and slid up into the next place, and we've been uh, doing our radio show that's on at 10 o'clock generally. We've been doing that show for more than six years. We started that show. Um, it was kind of a... I don't know if you plan on doing this this morning, Dan, but um, I thought maybe we should bring some people up to speed that maybe aren't familiar with what we do and why we're doing this. Um, so the short version, the Reader's Digest version here is that um, the show kind of started organically because we were asked to um, give a couple talks about what was going on in 2007 in the economy, specifically with the bank failures and the uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac being taken into conservatorship, people not understanding what was going on in the secondary market, not understanding um, why it was important to gird these companies up and, and help uh, bail them out and kind of walk through what ultimately now in retrospect we know, we know how the game plan shook out. Um, the reason people asked us about it, we were... Uh, employed by a couple of different companies and had some really unique experience working directly with Wall Street, um, both writing and testing some of the programs that were um, uh, exotic loan programs, predatory (laughs) lending practices, perhaps. Um, And really just by the nature of what we were doing um, for a living up to that point, we got a a really unique view and perspective of exactly what was going on. And, um, you know, there's been books written about it since then. And the reality is, is that I think even the authors of those books miss quite a bit. Um, We give it straight like a somebody you're going to meet by the water cooler, grabbing a cup of coffee, going to tell you what it was like. And so that's about as much as I want to say about that. And I'll just say that um, in 2004 or five, I remember walking into Dan's office and saying, this is it, buddy. We're in big trouble here. Um, I was uh, one of the head underwriters at the company and was approving a loan. 
because I had to. It fit all of the guidelines, or should I say it fit the set of no guidelines. Um, this was a no down payment borrower with no residency status, no credit, no employment, no income, no assets. Um, was there anything about that loan file where there was something in the yes column um, besides like the appraisal and title report? Um, and probably the appraisal was pushed too because the appraiser <laughs> was in bed with the, the loan officer, but hey, that was the kind of stuff that was going, oh, I, I failed to mention, not only was it no down payment, it was also a negatively amortizing type of loan with a second lien um, making up what should have been the down payment, a second lien, which was complete with a balloon feature, um, a 30-year loan due in 15 years. So we knew then that lending had way overrun its course and uh, we were in for a pretty significant correction at some point um, and so that's what we started talking about and we started you know bringing those issues to the front here taking phone calls and helping everybody get up to speed on what's been going on with the the uh, lending environment of course this whole recession and recovery has been about real estate and jobs. So we talk about real estate and jobs. We come in and talk about um, probably the bigger picture of the economy, what's going on with jobs, jobless rate, unemployment. Um, we talk about things like inflation, Fed's monetary policy. We always bring you up to speed on what's going on with the open market committee meetings. Um, we talk a lot about real estate, the new housing starts, pending home sales, existing home sales, and kind of anything that we think ties right into that. Um, and the overall purpose here is that we own a mortgage company and um, being having our finger right on the pulse of all things in, impacting our business helps us be better business people. So that's the pretty short condense. I, you look impressed. I usually talk good. a lot more than that about <laughs> things um, simpler than that. But that's why we're doing the show, and um, there's a lot to talk about today. So I don't want to, I don't want to spend too much time. As also, I'm hoping that some of our regular listeners have tuned in and are like, "Yeah, we've heard that before." Um, so then we can now we can do what we usually do. I don't think we've spent much time reminding people why we're even here. So I think it's it's worthwhile even for the regular listeners. Okay, um, we've come a long way. Uh, we've seen a lot since. You and I each got into the mortgage industry right out of Cal Poly back in the early 2000s. Um, you know, it was 2002 for me, 2003 for you, and we started in this industry. It has been a wild ride. To this day, I, I believe that you and I have never been involved in a normal real estate or mortgage market. No. Nope. Um, it's only been extremes since we've been involved. Um, it's been I'm a beginning fun to ride. wonder if there is normalcy <laughs> to the real estate I, market. I hear there is. I, I, I've heard that. But is in that the past. before the puppet masters started doing all the bizarre things we do and have done in the lending world to manipulate affordability and marketability of real estate? Haven't we been doing that for a while? Things, the, the pendulum swings right and left, and every now and then you'll catch it in the middle. And I think that's when <laughs> so they, it just depends that's what they when mean you're is looking. normal. Okay. So yeah, I mean, during the last, what is it, 14, no, 12 years, I can do math. During the last 12 years of, of it's going on 13 <laughs> in the mortgage industry, we, we've had that front lines view. We've dealt firsthand with, 
with representatives from Bear Stearns, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, you know, all these big Wall Street firms in, like you said, creating proprietary um, mortgage programs that are no longer around because they proved to not not be a good decision, not be a good lending <laughs> instrument. Um, so we, you know, we've we've come a long way. We've educated ourselves along the way. We've tried to educate those who listen to the show and those of our clients and um, help them make good financial decisions when it comes to real estate. It's the biggest um, financial transaction that usually anyone gets involved in. Occasionally, there's someone transacting multi-billion-dollar business deals and things like that. But for the average Joe, uh, a home is the biggest investment they make in their life. So we think it's pretty important to be up to speed on the things that impact real estate and impact your mortgage. So that's why we're here. Well, I'm here for one other reason, too. What's that? Um, in hopes that people that need a loan after C every week will build credibility. We'll, we'll show you that we not only know what we talk about, but hey, um, this is another thing, too, that I think kind of goes unsaid quite a bit. But there's some anonymity to radio uh, from your side in. We don't have much anonymity. We are... Uh, in the professional financial services sector of the local economy here, we're a couple business owners. We have multiple offices around the county. We transact business every um, every month. I mean, it's every day generally that we're closing a loan for somebody, at least working on closing a loan for somebody. We've been doing this now in our company for seven years, and um, there's opportunity every week for people to call in and say, hey, you did me wrong, or we got down to the closing table and you changed the deal on me or all of those kinds of things. And notice that never happens. Um, so we kind of put ourselves out there to, to be able to say that um, we, we try to do right by everybody. We try to do a good job. And, and hopefully when you have a loan need or somebody um, that you work with or know from the neighborhood or something is talking about needing loan help, um, be it advice over a loan they have that they're having trouble managing um, somebody perhaps that's interested in, in visiting the current finance structure of their mortgage and looking for potentially an option to pay their loan off earlier, maybe to get into retirement sooner. Um, any variety of different reasons why somebody might want a credible, local, reputable source to, to go to for that good advice. That's, that's really ultimately you know, the goal of being here. Um, but we know that you can't just expect to to hang a shingle and have people come to you. So this is just one of the things we do in an effort to give you guys another little slice of our resume and credibility every week. And um, hopefully it, it adds up through time. As far as this show goes, um, the format's pretty simple. You know, it's uh, it's a casual conversation on a weekend after the dust is settled from a busy work week. We like to reflect and, and talk about the things that impacted the week that was um, in the economy. We The phone lines are always open for you if you want to call in and ask a question or, or get in on a conversation. We're, we're more than happy to take your phone call live um, on the air or off the air if you're a little shy. Um, so feel free to call in at any time. We have pre-recorded reminders that you can call in in case we forget to uh, remind you to call in. So we hope you that you will participate. Um, we usually spend the first hour recapping the last week, and then generally in the second hour we'll have some kind of guest um, 
However, the first week of the month tends to be a busier news week. So it's usually just Jason and I in here um, spending a little extra time talking about what's happened and what's likely to happen for the rest of the month. You know what? The the reason we preserve this first show of the month for just the just Jason and Dan to sit down and walk it out is that we generally are just chomping on and digesting the jobs report that comes out the first Friday of every month. Arguably that, the biggest piece of data each month, would you say? I would suggest that historically it's one of the more market-moving pieces I have noticed in the last um, couple years here, we've been we've gotten pretty good at sweeping things under the rug and forgetting about things pretty quickly, um, good or bad. So uh, yeah, it is definitely what I would call one of the primary market moving pieces of data, um, and it gives us a great look in on the progress that we've made, whether we're on the right trajectory, and what we've got going forward. Um, so let's do that when we get back. I do want to go ahead and take the first commercial break here so we don't get uh, accused of ditching the, um, the normal structure here on our new hour. So we're going to do a commercial break. When we get back, we're going to dive into it. we got a lot to talk about. Stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show.
All right, everybody, welcome back. My wife texts me right now and says, the fish oil infomercial is back on. Where did you guys go? Is this some kind of sick humor or is this... Uh... I don't think so. I mean, how, how can this be verified? We need somebody to call us right now that's listening from the radio, mm -hmm. not an app, and tell us that you can hear us on the radio. It shouldn't be. That's what we need. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm we're listening to what's... I don't know, I'll run out in the hall and listen to what's going over the air. She's telling me she hears the fish oil infomercial. I imagine she's listening from the app, though. Yeah, it could be on the app. I'll have to, I'll have to call my boss on that. Let me, let me call the boss. Huh. All right. I have the app on my phone. I could play it right now. Why don't you do that? Can I? If you're Will that cause some feedback issues? It would if she's wrong. Okay. Yeah. Well, as crazy as my wife is... It seems highly unlikely. Oh, we got there's a phone, a phone call. call. Here right go. there. Let's Confirm see. We're about to get gym. confirmation. Because I'm not going to talk for two hours if I know it's just a YouTube knucklehead. That's a complete lie. <laughs> complete lie. The mortar mouse. Oh, Thanks, man. Bud. Thank you. <laughs> All right. We're about to find out if we uh, are, in fact, live on the air. Oh, we're just getting a question. I, Cool. So it's probably just the app, right? There was some sort of uh, button that needed to be pushed that said, hey, throw this thing out of here and let the live air play again. Maybe she's just not fully awake yet. It's, it's possible. No, it's just the app. It's technology. <laughs> okay. Hey. Okay. All right. I'm glad we got over that. I had a moment of panic, man. I was like, do we? They are out there. Okay. They are listening. And they can hear And us. you are on the radio. Awesome. Okay. All right. There My we go. Thank, an app. We'll double check. That. Thank you guys much for the call. The app is messed up. No way of fixing that at the moment. So we're just going to, yeah. we're just going to push on through. Okay. Um, awesome. Now, before the break, we started talking about this. Um, this first hour is our economic hour. This is the hour where we uh, hop on into it. Um, you know, I'm going to say, I want to start with the jobs report. Is that a fair place to hop off, Dan? Kind of, kind of said that I would. Yeah. Um, Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So how we ended the week. It's, it's how we should begin the show. Okay, so on the first Friday of every month, unless there's some kind of a holiday or government shutdown or something, uh, we get the employment situation, as it's called. And really, uh, this is the employment report that tells us how many jobs we've created. Also gives us a measure of... Um, several of other metrics, but the, but the primary ones here are jobs created. And I think the one that the public more cares about is just the employment, um, the unemployment rate, right? I mean, we're, we're kind of like, I think the average person kind of tunes in and out of that stuff and says, oh, well, oh, I know 12% unemployment rate's real bad. Um, you know, it's back when uh, last great insert your political party here president was in office the unemployment rate was five percent um so the best thing about this jobs report that we got here for the month of july is um that the uh the unemployment rate went up a little bit that's how i'm gonna start this <laughs> that's um, the good news yes these people are probably going what, what are these guys gonna have to say about the economy you say the good news is that the unemployment rate went up a little bit and i, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek but the reality of it is is that the way that metric functions the more people that are coming out looking for work is a symbol also of confidence in the labor market 
we had the unemployment rate fall for months and months in a row. In fact, one could argue for years in a row because the workforce, those people that were actually out looking for employment were being not counted in the statistics for a variety of reasons. Um, one of which is some people just being counted as retired. They have simply looked for too long and are no longer a viable contributor to the job force, so they're just simply not counted. And a second being people losing interest, tired of looking, don't even want to look anymore. Um, you know, maybe they have passive income or some other way of surviving where they can just sit this one out and come back to the game um, when the ball's back down on this half of the field. And so because that pushed the unemployment rate down for a while, every time it went down, it's like the the media would say, hey, good news, the unemployment rate fell by another two-tenths of a percent. But we knew that the that it falling was actually bad news. It was falling not because so many jobs being created, but because so many people giving up the hunt or being discounted from the metric because they were out of the workforce too long. So it is actually good news this time that the unemployment um, rate actually increased a little bit. As far as the rest of the report, um, good news because people gained a little bit more confidence. Yeah, more out confidence. For they jobs. believe that it's a good time to re-enter the labor force, and and you know wages though aren't doing anything impressive. Wages are up a little bit. Opportunities are around. We're coming into this summer month after um, you know kind of a a deep frozen winter, and people are now re-entering the labor force, and that's good news. You you lose that apathetic worker. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of months talking about this cycle of, of recovery of, of jobs. And it's it starts with getting back to full employment. The, all the people who want to work are back to work. Then it, the next phase of that recovery is about quality of jobs improving. The people who are back to work but, but desire... Uh, you know, a, a, a job that's up to their skill level, that meets their pay requirements, that's a head of household type job. That's the next phase of this jobs recovery. That's the phase where we believe that we're just beginning to enter. Um, now that we're getting this unemployment rate down to an acceptable level, um, I and I think one of the biggest, best indicators that we are transitioning in this recovery is the fact that we have seen job gains um, now, for six months in a row, exceed 200,000 jobs per month. I think that's a big number. It's a big milestone. Um, it hasn't happened since 1997. So this is a, this is a major... 1997? 1997. That's wow. 17 years since we have had this consistent number of jobs um, added to the economy every month uh, for six months in a row. Six months above 200,000 jobs. Last month in July, um, employers added 209,000 non-farm payroll jobs. That's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, there's another metric of, of hiring. It's the ADP um, private payroll report or ADP National Employment Report. It's a ADP is a payroll provider for private business, so they focus more on the the private um, companies and don't factor in the government related jobs. But ADP came out and said they showed hiring at about two hundred and eighteen thousand. So these numbers were fairly in line, which isn't always the case. You know what we should do now that we have this new progressive society where we're. Um I don't even want to say tolerant. We are embracing and celebrating all of the differences that um, in all of the people. 
I read recently that um, oh, is it Sweden? There's a country that's now decided to include um, drug trafficking and prostitution into their GDP. Have you heard about this? <laughs> no. Well, I'm reading here. Yeah, and truly, more and more economies around the world are going to start trying to figure out how to calculate the revenue and jobs and economic contribution that the illegal sources of income and employment are producing. And as much as you kind of got to go, that's crazy. Think about that. I mean, we've got in little old San Luis Obispo, we've got ponga boats showing up on the coast here, what feels like all too regularly, um, at times delivering millions of dollars worth of guns and drugs and God knows what else. Um, perhaps that belongs in the California GDP. Uh, maybe those jobs of those people that are, you know, bailing and uh, boating and hauling those drugs should be counted. Uh, it just sort of makes me think, I know I have a little bit of a weird streak in me in that part. Uh, what made me think of it, though, is that the um, that U6 number is what you're talking about. That's one of the sections of, you know, what's gathered here by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. And they, they show that um, the expanded U6 unemployment rate, so this expanded rate is including people that are too discouraged to look for work, but also those who can only find a part-time job. Um, this number is one I think deserves more attention than it gets by the average person, but 12.1%. If the overall unemployment rate was as high as 12.1%, that would really scare people. So we really kind of came up with some metrics to say, hey, come on, you guys. It's really in the 5 to 6% range. Don't look down below at that asterisk where it is really 12%. Because there are people that aren't looking for work because they're over it. They've tried too hard too long and can't get a job. Um, or they've, it, they can only find a part-time job. And that, that really is a problem that um, is alive and well and still needs to be dealt with. Yeah, it's it it is a big problem and that and that's what we're talking about with this transition from not just bringing people back into the labor force but improving the quality of their employment to something that meets their skill level or meets their wage requirements to support their family needs. And so that U6 rate that you're talking about is often called the underemployment rate. And so that starts looking at, well, who's out there that's working that may be, you know, working at McDonald's when they've got a, you know, some kind of postgraduate degree um, and, and should be, should, should be earning a, you know, six figure salary and, and wearing a suit and tie to work every day. That's someone who's underemployed, someone who's working well below their skill level or well below their, their, what their, wage should be. Um, and so I think as we continue to go on, now that we're approaching what, what feels like um, a f more full employment, we're going to start to see, I think, some of these job, th this job quality improve. And that, that's the exciting turn that we're about to make here in this um, recovering economy. Just to round out some of the um, unemployment data that came out yesterday, um, we already mentioned job gains, uh, six months in a row of 200,000 plus jobs added to, to the economy. Um, on the flip side, the weekly jobless um, claims numbers, so those are the people who are filing for first time unemployment benefits, uh, that number 
inched up above 300,000 again this week, but for the first time in, gosh, a really long time, it dipped below 300,000. It was at 279,000 last week, which is yeah. a phenomenal number. Last week was like a seven-year low. And, and, it's, and it, we went back and looked at what was... What, what were the weekly jobless claim numbers back in 2004, five? you know, when this economy was really humming? Um, and they were right around 280,000, 300,000. Yeah. And, you know, I think that part of that, too, is, um, first of all, in that hot economy where there was a lot of jobs, and I think arguably everybody was overpaid. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> don't you? Well, in in there, my in my narrow view of the world, it seemed yeah, like it. it definitely in the mortgage business. That was just for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, also back in that era too. Remember when they would just like people were just mailing credit cards out to you, like you just pick up your groceries for the day, and then the checker would be like, "Oh, and here's a Visa card with a twenty thousand dollars." Get those again, right? It's that's all. Yeah, that's going on again. <laughs> Actually, in fact, I started laughing. It's been just recently, the last few months, I'm starting to go, "Hey, look at this!" Now suddenly, there's all these credit offers again. <laughs> so maybe it's like, "Hey, here we go again." Uh, who knows? Um, and I, I, you sidetracked me. <laughs> <laughs> Sausage McMuffin with egg and a hash brown. Would you like a home equity line with that? Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. kind of what it felt like. <laughs> so, yeah, that those times when the economy was super hot, we still had a fair amount of people getting first-time unemployment benefits. Um, that's a, a function of uh, being tracked every week. The thing about it that's exciting that I just want to point out is that I remember coming on the show we were reporting that this number was averaging um, 500,000 initial claims a week. And there was periods of time, too, where it seemed like every week we came in to talk about it, that number was higher. And we knew from the challenger job cuts reports we knew always that hey there's more planned layoffs we're still in a contracting cycle things are just not looking good and every week you'd see that number itch up just a little bit more and then we'd we'd finally get the employment report would come out and show that we created far fewer jobs than we needed uh just everything about it felt um really a lack of hope. And now when you see this four-week average for the initial jobless claims is right at 300,000 now, back in line with um, the norms of yesteryear, 2005, 6, 7, um, that's, that's actually a pretty good sigh of relief as far as that stuff goes. Um, and then, you know, the, the next component to this, as I said earlier in the show, I think generally is... Um, it, once you figure out the jobs part, then comes housing. And that's been the other thing, um, you know, and, and this is really clear to us, by the way, every, so we just swapped out the um, chair for the federal open market committee. We got rid of, Oh, oh, dude! I don't even remember his name anymore. That <laughs> you guy's don't remember so Bernanke. Ben Bernanke. Oh man, he's so far gone. How long has it been? Um, Janet Yellen was thrown into position here, uh, and she was a good pick. I think a safe bet because with this desire to smooth over and stabilize the markets altogether, they were looking for somebody that was going to be kind of a plug and play fit. Nobody wanted to see a radical change in policy while we're still trying to figure out what 
you know, what bailing out of quantitative easing round three is going to look like. So she's been now at the helm, um, believe it or not, for half a year. And um, every time they open their mouths, you know, just this week again, we saw from the Federal Open Market Committee, they made their statement. We saw a little bit of the notes from the meeting. Really concerned about the jobs, that underemployment rate, and concerned also about housing. Um, this almost feels like all they talk about. It it pretty much is, and and it's it seems to be all that we talk about on this show. And as as we step back and try to understand why are these the most important components of the economy, so many jobs rely on a, a stable housing industry. It whether it's the the construction folks who are building the homes, uh, the you know the folks who provide the materials to to finish out the interior of a home, the the companies that provide furniture for your house, the the maintenance of your house. I mean, it goes on and on. A home really is the center of the family structure, and that's something that we're constantly maintaining and and upgrading and improving and and maybe you know, changing altogether. So it's such a big, important part of the entire economy. So much of it comes back to jobs or back to housing. That's why we focus on it. I was okay with you saying jobs. <laughs> to me, they're really completely interdependent. Um, you have, and I know you kind of just started to say this, but I, I love reminding myself of this. When somebody transacts business and buys a house or builds a house, Let's just brainstorm quickly what it means. Um, a moving company moves, a couple realtors get paid, we employ a title officer, an escrow officer, an underwriter, a loan officer, some loan processors, somewhere along the way. Um, generally, there's a home inspector, we have an appraiser. Um, People buy new flooring, new drapes, they remodel, we sell stuff from the Home Depot, we're probably going to bring a painter out. Um, I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on. And as long as business is transacting in real estate, there are so many jobs created and such a turnover in that money. And you know, I, I'm born uh, and raised the son of a contractor. Um, a difference in, I think, lifestyle and upbringing from Dan, who was raised in a household of um, folks that work for the state. So just a little bit different for me, the contractor folks, that's that's all I know. That's where it's at. Those um, it's about those dusty work boots. And if you're not tying up the work boots and getting those pups dirty every day, ain't nothing good happening in the house. And so I just to me, that is the core are we transacting real estate? And, and then also because population growth as well as um, an economic lifespan of a structure, then are we remodeling, rebuilding, and building new uh, housing? And as long as those things are working, I don't think you even need to care about what's happening in the jobs market. That's going to kind of take care of itself. It really will. It I, I remember back when this uh, housing economy was really booming in the 2000s, there were some statistics about how many people in California were employed as a result of housing. It's like 7 out of 10. <laughs> I don't think that was the number back then. And the other 6 out of 10 worked for the government. <laughs> wow, that's 13 out of 10. That's a lot of people. It's a big state. <laughs> uh, it's a lot. It's it's a lot of people who are impacted by, by this uh 
crazy business called real estate. So it, it's important and it's good to see things recovering. There's a lot of numbers that came out this week, um, some good, some bad. So when we come back from this next commercial break, we'll talk more about housing numbers from this past week. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. State of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state. State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending, Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, we're just trucking along here on Mortgage Matters. We already made it through 44 minutes of this new hour. That's right. I was nervous how we were going to do the hour. We've never done this hour before. It feels a lot like the 10 o'clock hour. It really does. Kind of. Almost yeah. like daylight savings time, though. Yeah, that's... Uh... I, I was a little bit freaked out last night. I set an alarm. Um, not that I generally am going to be able to sleep well past 8 o'clock anyway, but I just thought, you know, that would be just my luck is I'll wake up at like 9.05 to a text from Dan going, uh, where, are, where you? are you? <laughs> Dude, I'm on my way. <laughs> I'm going to be there really soon, 25 minutes later. Yeah, it did feel more like work having to set an alarm. Well, you know, but the the cool thing is 
Your day's going to be done an hour early. That so is the the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and That's you know, the you great part. And, uh, do whatever you're going to be doing starting at eleven o'clock. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to having my weekend start a little early. Just want to remind you guys, uh, if you're listening out there, we will take live phone calls throughout the show, whether we remind you or not. Uh, the call-in number is 543-8830, 543-8830. Jason and I get so excited talking about all of this news that sometimes we just forget to remind you that we want you to participate also. Yeah, yeah. Call in, ask a question, share a comment. Um, tell us we suck. Tell us you like it. Whatever you want. We're, we're here for you. That's right. Um, yeah. So if we started in on the housing thing, um, housing. So, so just as a quick recap, let me, before we dive into this, let me just bring you all up to speed on what's been going on, on, on housing. Okay. The feds have been successfully keeping interest rates pretty low. Um, we've been through three rounds of quantitative easing, which is where the feds have been purchasing mortgage-backed securities as well as other bonds um, from the Treasury. And we, we've we been stockpiling this stuff for a good long while. And um, it was last year around May when housing was getting pretty hot. In fact, most folks over agreed that it was overheated. It was white hot. We had... Um, once again, we were returned to people riding offers from the curb, sight unseen from the inside of the house. We we're in a multiple offer situation. We even began to see banks doing fun things like saying, um, submit all your offers. We're going to review them in two weeks. And then in two weeks, sending you back saying you were one of nine offers that were interested in seeing your highest and best offer from. And then people would ultimately be bidding against themselves to, to buy. And um, that was just evidence of um, a really uh, demand side equation. Um, and it was, it was really because we saw the return of confidence in real estate, right? We had years in a row where, hey, this thing's worth half of what you paid for it or half of what that guy paid for it, but I kind of still don't want to buy it because it's you know it's going to be worth 10% less next year. Once it was pretty clear to everybody that, um, hey, it's not likely to be worth 10% less next year. In fact, people are now saying it could even be worth a little bit more. Wouldn't you know it? Everybody starts racing out and making these uh, purchases, right? So the market was hot. We began seeing scary things like 12, 15, 20% year over year appreciation. That's scary, right? I mean, that was to kind of that was the kind of play that created the bubble that popped in the first place, and nobody really wanted to see that. And part of the reason that was happening is because thanks to the Fed's quantitative easing working very well, we were giving out 3% 30-year fix. We actually closed 30-year fix loans for people that were at 3.0%. That's crazy. I think we might have even closed one or two that was like a 2.875 type of rate. Holy smokes. I didn't do any of those. but uh, Yeah, so check it out. That's all just going gangbusters crazy. And at the same time, those rates are that low because of this very accommodating monetary policy. So then... The feds came out and said, hey, just heads up, everybody, because, you know, they've been saying how transparent they're going to be so that everybody uh, understands the direction that the um, the government's moving, said, 
if things continue on like this and we see, um, and at that point, the jobs market still wasn't doing great, but if we see continued um, strength in housing, some growth in the jobs market um, and some inflation, we're going to, we're going to pull out of this um, bond buying that's holding these rates down and creating this feeding frenzy. And as soon as they said that, basically almost overnight, interest rate went up by more than a percent. Um, it really changed and, and all like a wet blanket over a crowd. It was like from total, everybody you knew was trying to clamor to buy real estate, figure out how to make it happen to, well, I'm going to wait until rates come back down now. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be the fool that pays 4% for a 30 year fixed. So it slowed things down, and we know that, and and that's happened. Um, and by the way, those rates were actually closer to about four and a half or four and three eighths, maybe right after the taper talk began. In and the, and this this talk all went down right around mid year last year, May yeah. June of last year was when the Fed Ben Bernanke went on television at at the quarterly press conference and made a big announcement about the plans and a lot of uh, almost interrogative style. Uh, you know, questions from the from the media about this plan to taper the quantitative easing immediately led to big reactions in the interest rate market. Yeah, and you know what, Bernanke, he's not a great public speaker, but he's he's has a lot of credibility. And in retrospect, I I can't say enough good things about guy. I think he did a phenomenal job given the circumstances. Um, but what he said was, they're going to take their foot off the accelerator. That's what they're doing. No one's hitting the brakes. This doesn't mean we're pushing interest rates up overnight. But we got to, you know, if if we're starting to see some actual organic strength in the economy, we need to begin removing the stimuli so that we can um, basically learn to walk on our own again. Okay. So he said, we're going to start taking our foot off the gas. That scared the market and rates went up overnight. Um, it wasn't until December, so that was all mid-year. wasn't until December that we actually saw, and I was actually fairly surprised by it. I was telling everyone, oh, man, they're handing the torch from Bernanke to Yellen. There's no way they're going to go on to cut these rates right in the face of that. Plus, the jobs report in the month of December was like the worst we ever had. We created like 70,000 jobs or something stupid. And then, whoa, they did. They totally cut 10 billion a month out of that 80 billion they were buying. Um, and everybody felt that blow. And you know what happened? Rates went down a little bit. It was like, hey, absent of that money, things are still okay. Volume of loan business was declining. The pace of sales and real estate began its decline. Things slowing enough, but it was all sort of like, that's okay. We're, hey, no, no, nobody blew up. This wasn't the end of the world. We're okay. And so the overcorrection based in fear that drove rates arbitrarily high was then sort of calmed by this notion of we saw the first round of this and things are okay. And I'm happy to report that since then now, um, we're eight months into the tapering. In fact, we're a couple months away from the tapering being completed um, totally. Um, and rates are significantly lower than they were when the tapering began. So um, there's a variety of factors as to why. We'll talk a lot about that um, in coming weeks and months because that's 
kind of what we do. But um, so I, I wanted to get everybody up to speed. So that was what happened in the interest rate market. And that had a direct correlation to what was going on in real estate. So during that period from May to December, we saw real estate kind of take one on the nose. I mean, it's, it's not really a better way to say it. We sort of yanked the rug out of an overheated buying side, um, refinancing side, everything really storming along because we had these crazy low rates. Rates spiked, began to ease back down. And then we saw now what we're about to report today about some of the new home sales data, existing home sales data, and pending home sales data. What we learn about that is that that's trying to figure out the new normal in this new balance, not in an overstimulated environment, but in a more real environment. Yeah, I, I would describe that transition that happened May or June of last year as a, as a shot of rationality back into housing, because it seemed very irrational there for about 12 to 18 months. Um, we, we went from this housing market that was dominated by distressed property sales, short sales and foreclosures everywhere. They were the housing market for a couple of years. And then almost like a light switch, it real estate was in vogue again. Everyone needed to get it. It was clear that it had bottomed. It was an opportunity to regain some wealth that was lost. Let's buy real estate. It's going to appreciate. We're already seeing the numbers support that 10, 20%, 25, you know, increases in the median home price. I want to make sure that I highlight that it was the median home price that was increasing by 10 and 20% year over year. Um, and then all of a sudden this announcement that, Hey, we're going to, we're going to start to get back to normal as far as our monetary policy goes, that pause that it, it, it was a collective pause that occurred throughout the country with respect to housing. People started to really think, you know, about housing, again in the right way this isn't an investment this isn't the get rich quick scheme uh, housing is about providing shelter for my family a place that i can afford and be stable and have some pride of ownership and 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 hopefully build wealth over time not over the next month or two right and and so that's where we're at today and 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 i wanted to highlight the fact that the the appreciation that we saw that seemed to be out of control was about what was selling in the market, not that every home was going up by 20% year over year. We saw a glut of distressed properties, which we all know are under market sales. Yeah, and a lot of those that were shed were investment properties and stuff that weren't people's primary residence. They were rental properties to begin with. So when we had that big wave of um, the REO, which is the abbreviation for real estate owned. That's how a bank categorizes the like, oh crap, we now own this and have to sell it type of real estate. That Those properties on the books being sold, um, they were entry-level housing by and large. Um, and think about it. Those are the people that live in paycheck to paycheck. Those are the people that could barely afford it to begin with. So they had exotic loan types. Those are also the landlords and first time landlords that didn't have cash flow in mind that bought for appreciation. They lost those homes. So we saw those come back out to the market. And, you know, I one thing I'll say about it. I'm, I'm not an optimistic, like, you know, the glass is half full kind of guy all the time. But one thing about this recession correction that we've seen is um, it afforded many people that got totally um, cut out of the housing dream forever now own those homes. <laughs> 
we helped during the recession we helped so many teachers and um you know low paid workers and just all of the Young kind of the families. normal yeah those normal these are like it felt like gone are the day of you being one year out of college and making 100 grand a year now you're going to go work pretty diligently for your 4 grand a month but hey the good news is you can afford this house over here um so there was a lot of that happening and that was that was really where the home values um you started seeing oh, median home value so low. The median home home value got skewed down so much with all those distressed sales. And once those were absorbed into the market and we got back to more normal sales and even really making up for some of the, the mid to higher end sales that weren't occurring when everyone was focused on low end property, that kind of skewed that median price higher and, and really made it seem like real estate was appreciating rapidly. But it was th those figures are more about What's what selling? Is selling and and so but still you know we needed to cool off this market and get back to housing standing on its own so thus we've we've had this tapering that's going on and this week we saw the federal reserve taper yet again as expected only uh, five billion though this time well it was it was 10 but five off of uh mortgage-backed securities and five off of um, the trip, the T bills, or, or that they've been also buying. So now we're seeing total monthly purchases by the Federal Reserve of just 25 billion, and it's expected that come October they're going to be out completely. Mm -hmm. They're on pace. That's what they've clearly told us. So that's there should be no reason not to expect that to occur. So just real quick here, because so when we get into the next hour, there's a lot more to talk about. But as far as the new home sales go. The, the homes that have been built and haven't been lived in before, those numbers aren't doing great. You'd expect it to be a lot better than it's been. That's something that's concerning the feds. Pending home sales are homes under contract but not yet closed. Um, this month was the first month of decline in those numbers uh, in the last few months. Three months of gains, and then in, in July here we had a month of decline. And then... Um, Let's see here. Existing home sales, still a pretty decent clip, but down just a little bit. So this is what the feds are talking about. This is what the feds are worrying about. Um, they're monitoring housing, jobs, and inflation. If you just want to take the, the stripped down version of it. Um, we're going to get forced out of here for the top of the hour break. We got a whole nother hour with you guys. And on this next run, we're going to talk a little bit more about... Um, loan products a couple of other things that are impacting you guys and i hope that you'll stick around we'll be back in a few minutes for more mortgage matters tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. It's 10.05. This is where we usually start. Um, if you're just tuning in, where have you been? We started at 9 this morning. 
And I'm and I'm gonna suggest that you snooze through some pretty good stuff. Yeah, that was action-packed radio right there. We really brought our A game to that first hour. I, I totally unbiased opinion, right? I actually feel like I'm I think off you, a little bit. I think bit. you guys are like you know banging it out. Me well, too. Well, I think that's how I feel. Really great. Feeling good. I think that was a great first first Nine hour. O'clock. Yeah. By the way, we did mention in the. First hour, we're having problems with the KVEC app. That should be now fixed now. So cool. If you need and to I did get some KVC, outside confirmation of that. There we are. So, And for those going. of you who I, use some other app, um, there's a KVEC Melanie. app. There's a KVEC app. You don't need to use TuneIn Radio or no, 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 just iHeart Radio or whatever other radio apps are. There's a KVEC app you should just be using. And what would be easier to remember than KVEC? Right? Yeah. That's, yeah. Simple. <coughs> Melanie. <laughs> well. <laughs> so we didn't even get to really a lot of the housing part of the newsy stuff, right? I mean, yeah. What do you, what do you got? I've got some interesting thoughts here. So we, we talked about pending home sales, right? Pending home sales are a leading indicator. Correct. Sign of what's to come. It's contracts that have been... Executed, but not yet closed. Not closed. Down 7.3% from a year ago. So, whoopsie daisy. We always have to look at, at real estate numbers year over year because real estate's a very seasonal business. Well, and don't forget, too, that last year was pretty hot. Oh, my I gosh. Mean, it was cooling at this point last year. It was cooling, but if it always depends on what you where you draw the baseline, right? If we always compare it to last year, you know, we're not always going to be as good as last year. True, but it's a sign of the trend. Correct. And, that, and that's what it we're looking at. It gives us a barometer of, like, kind of to know. Is housing cooler As related to up? then. Yeah. As related to last year, a little bit slower. But you're right. I'm last, okay with that. Last year was uh, was a much hotter year for, for real estate transactions. We saw through not the, the winter of 13, 14, but the winter of 12, 13, 2012 and 13. That was a, a, a very unusual year for us in real estate because it there was no break. There right. was no seasonal break. Um, so this last winter was a little more normal, although a little too cold for my liking, thanks <laughs> to the the freeze in the most of the country. Indeed. Um, so yeah, but things are a little slower than last year as far as the pending sales go. We've got a caller on the line waiting so very patiently. So let's Hello, let's jump over to Maryland. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I information to give you. Oh, right. good. <laughs> uh, my son and daughter-in-law are just, they just got the deal on a house outside of Las Vegas in that area. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to give you the details of this house. It was built in 1990. It's 2,506 square feet. The lot is about 11,000 square feet. Uh, it was listed at 330, and it was dropped to 280, and they got it for 275. Wow! And uh, it's three bed. Oh, what did she say? It's 107 square feet. I don't remember. Probably the air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. It's a three bedroom, a two bath, three car garage a pool and hot tub mm. and they um are buying it from somebody from san diego who was a flipper 
Yep. And so they've redone everything. It's uh, ready to move in. Yeah, I was going to say, if you look up, depending on the different parts of um, Clark County, you can find uh, a few years ago, I was looking with some friends. We were considering buying speculatively there houses like that with those same credentials, including the pool and everything, were close to a hundred, hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So, yeah, they, they, but it, but the, see, the problem was, is there was truly so. See, Nevada experiences so much influx in population and they built homes like crazy. And then it became this little hotbed for real estate speculation. And then they had so many homes that were sitting there with nothing in it, nothing going on, couldn't rent or sell them right after the collapse. And so then they radically plummeted in value. And now it's getting back to the point where people say, you know, it's it's kind of coming back in equilibrium a little bit. But um Good opportunity there to make some money if you bought homes out there in the last couple of years. Yeah. Aren't oh, you? I remembered what the 107 was. It's $107 a square foot. Yeah. Yeah, which is just, just for comparison, um, we commonly see the price per square foot here in San Luis Obispo County at $300 per square foot. Oh that, my God. Just on average, I, that, that's like a, you know, I'm thinking of a, an appraisal I saw in a Tascadero, a home in, an, yeah, in a Yeah, I was, I, I was actually going to, I was sort of waiting with bated breath to see how you were going to call that stat. Um, 300. Yeah. There's some of that around. Um, I looked at one last week that was 595 a square foot in slow, in, slow. in San Luis city city. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you're in the, I, th I think when you look in North Coast, North County, and South County's kind of mixed. You'll you'll get some. You can find some doozies down yeah. there too. Um, but the North County, North Coast, I think 300 is is pretty normal. Probably at the low end of what you'll find anywhere in this county. Um, but yeah, you get into San Luis Obispo City, maybe Arroyo Grande, some of the like Shell Beach, Cayucas. Whew. Five hundred, six hundred dollars a square foot. It's incredible what you can find when you just step a few more feet away from the from the ocean well, into Nevada. You start getting a hundred dollars a square foot. I'd argue, um, of course, without getting in and crunching the math, my preliminary statement here is that you couldn't build that house with those amenities, including the pool and everything that goes into it, for a hundred dollars a square foot right now. I don't, I don't know that it's possible. So yeah. it still suggests to me that that market's really just finding equilibrium. But we know that it's all about supply and demand. What I think is really interesting about this story that Marilyn's telling is the fact that they listed a property and that it's sold for 20 or 25% lower than list price. Either someone really missed the mark on the list um, or... Or that it just seems very unusual in this type of market where um, there's such a lack of supply that well, something that, would sell so, so far there is, list. there is some slack that's come around, and in that market is one of them, too, where going back to the pre-taper part, these things were flying off the shelf because of that affordability. The slowing that we've seen around here that kind of brought it into normal in other parts of the country have created enough slack that there has been uh, little drops in value. But it's, it is all about supply and demand. And, um, you know. Yeah, well, I was surprised. 275000 Hey, so. <laughs> yeah, Marilyn, let me ask you, um, and you don't have to answer if you don't feel comfortable, but are they buying this as a primary residence or is yes. it an investment property? Yes. Okay. 
kind of curious too because a lot of people see some good opportunity to have those rental properties out there it, it kind of freaks me out but um yeah anyway yeah. cool uh, thank you maintain and then you know my house is uh just a live a little over 1600 and i think of this one, and we raised three children here so right you know i just wonder what you do with all that well, I'll tell you what you do. You have I'll, a man cave somewhere. I'll, I'll tell you what you do with it in the desert. The three-car garage will take band practice. Uh, yeah. That sounds like fun. In the in the desert with a house that large, you spend more on heating and air conditioning is what you do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't like it because I like to go out and do stuff in the daytime, and I'd never go out. Yeah. <laughs> so... Anyway, I thought it curious. Yeah, well, thank we, you. we love hearing stories like that. We love to know what's going on in other parts of the country. So thanks for calling in, Marilyn. We do appreciate your input. You're welcome. All right. Have a great rest of your day. I got a question about, like, when you were saying about Arroyo Grande and Grover. You know, for the price of a home in Arroyo Grande, how much is it affected by, um, like, infrastructure problems and stuff like that? You have Grover, or you might have the same house, kind of basically the same kind of floor plan. Same kind of amenities in the house, but is it is maybe Grover's sale price is a little bit lower because of their structures? And it depends. And stuff like that? Yeah, in fact, there's a. I think it's Newport Road is one of the ones that I see this come up on, where part of it's in AG and part of it's in Grover. It Actually, just, well, I'm not going to say where I live, but. That's the road you live on. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> a friend of mine was living on Newport Road for another friend. Uh, it, it, the reality is, is that, yeah, it kind of does have an impact. And I'll tell you what, what matters about that too. Um, part of it is the just zip code. You want to have the right zip code and it comes along with that is the school that you're going to be district to as well. But, um, some people are like, well, I would live in Arroyo Grande, but I would never live in Grover beach or something like this. And it's like, I don't, I don't live like that so i don't fully understand that but that's part of it is just that component of getting the zip code um but there's there's a difference in value i would go on to clarify though that there are parts where something similar in each from one neighborhood or another there are parts of grover that are going to fetch a, a premium of different parts of ag or something though so yeah there it are... still is local and specific to what's available around there at the time there are neighborhoods and even just blocks in any city that are better or worse than than another city or even within that own city so it, there there's always those kind of nuances about any community with Specifically with respect to the infrastructure issue, you know, being on the north coast, we see it a lot with Los Osos and the sewer issue there. Um, it it does have an effect. I would say more indirectly than anything because it's about the just do I want to deal with that? Do I want to deal with septic or having a sewer go in over the next three years? Do I want to deal with that? It, I think it just affects marketability in general, which sure. has an impact on prices. Um, but. It, for some, get, for some people, it's a non-issue, and for other people, it's a huge issue. So it really, it it's it depends on the person. Yeah. And, you know, that's exactly right. It depends on the person, what they're willing to tolerate, what they expect is likely to happen. I mean, you shared that your dad went to college here in the 70s, and they were doing the same crap out there with yeah, the sewer they that they're doing right now. they were still talking about the sewer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, 
I think Marilyn's call, the timing of her call, was perfect because I we we got an article this week. You know, as as long as we're kind of taking little snapshots of what's going on in other parts of the of the country as far as real estate goes, I wanted to share this article because it was just so mind blowing. What's going on in Northern California in the Bay Area? Oh yeah, San Francisco for the first time ever, the median selling price for homes in San Francisco. Um, were over a million dollars. As they should be. Seven figures for the median home price in San Francisco. That means but, more than half of all home sales in July were above a million dollars. Yeah, and so there's a few things about that that I want to say. Because again, median and average are two different functions, okay? And Dan, when you talked about this a little bit earlier, we tried to make the point this is a this is a critical thing for people to realize. When you average something, doesn't matter what order you put them in, you add them all up and you divide by your sample size, okay? When you're taking the median like this, what you do is you list them from low to high or high to low, and you look at out of the 80 that are on the list, what's number 40? That's your median, okay? That number is officially over a million bucks in San Francisco. I'm going to submit that it's because of several factors here that um, it's not just that, hey, congratulations, the house you bought in San Francisco for 700000 last year is definitely worth a million bucks now because that's the average. It's not how it works. The reality of it is is that that jumbo, super jumbo market is moving. We've There's been financing hearing, available there. Yeah, and we've been hearing for the last year and a half that they're getting, um, it's getting hot. The million plus market, the confidence is there. The jobs that those people have that can afford those homes are improving in confidence. And then we coupled that at the same time because we believed in that same confidence. The lending market has reintroduced loan products that will loan over a million bucks. There was a period of time after the mortgage market meltdown occurred in 2008 where you could not borrow more than $417,000 in this state. In fact, it was so terrible that the government allowed Fannie and Freddie to create a temporary increase to the conforming loan limit going at one point in our county up to $729,000 just to create some opportunity for people that are in that, that jumbo category that are just flapping in the wind with no help at all. Today, loan products that we're seeing, we've got million dollars. We can loan you a million dollars with only a 10% down payment, and you don't even have to pay mortgage insurance. That is going to help homes in San Francisco sell in that million plus price range. So it means that you're going to find more of those numbers in the median um, in that size sample. So the median can fall on a higher number. It doesn't mean that everything in San Francisco is worth a million bucks. Correct. Yeah. And and the, you know, speaking exactly to what you're saying here, the the number of homes that have sold for over a million dollars in the entire state of California has hit a seven year high recently. Um, sales north of two million dollars have reached a new record. Um, the the million dollar plus sales grew um, at a nine percent clip statewide. 
um, compared with last year, while overall sales have gone down by about 7.5%. So it really does show you that this median price appreciation that you're seeing, the big, is what is selling. the headline number of as far as home price appreciation, it's, a, it's about what's selling, not the fact that your home is worth 20% more than it was last year. That's, that's not necessarily the case. But it's just very interesting to see these extremes. In Nevada, homes that have been completely remodeled selling for a little over a hundred dollars a square foot homes in san francisco granted there's some unique things going on there you've got silicon valley wealth just just south of san francisco you've got a lot of people crammed in 50 square miles um there so you know it's it's a unique situation definitely but it's so interesting to see these extremes we're talking a thousand dollars or maybe even twelve hundred dollars price per square foot in San Francisco city. So there's a lot going on. Jason, you're getting ready to go to Alaska um, for a week. I'm really curious to hear what 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 you see going on there in Alaska. I don't know if you're gonna get the opportunity to, to kind of I'll I'll poke around. I'll I'll poke around and see what we can find out. Um, you know, I heard recently that uh, people were selling parking places in San Francisco for a hundred grand. <laughs> I believe it. They are premium. And just like the fact that rents are uh, protected there in San Francisco, so are parking spaces. <laughs> I'm thankful to not have to be in that mix. Um, man, there's we're going to run out of time, dude. I have things that I'm dying to get to. Um, Me too. Consumer confidence. GDP is let's, left to talk about. Let's take a break so okay. we can get to it. All right. It's 1023. Holy smokes, it's August. That's pretty wild. Happy August, everybody. And we're almost done with the show. Yeah. Another and by the minutes. way, Jim's been bringing us in and out of the or out of these breaks with some Grateful Dead stuff. I try not to get too personal on the radio. Um, I'll just I'll just say the reason we're doing that is that yesterday would have been Jerry Garcia's 71st birthday. And okay. whether or not you like the Grateful Dead, and I, I trust that I'm not appealing to too much of the crowd here on the uh, talk radio. <laughs> we circuit. learned last week they're the most loved and one of the most hated bands. Yes. Number one, right <laughs> along with the Beach Boys, which Dan and I happen to really like, yeah. and you don't. There are full <laughs> economic books written about the machine that was the Grateful Dead. So that can tie it into our show. There we go. It's about the economics of it. Um, so, guys, we're going to do a commercial break. We're going to be back in a few minutes, uh, and we'll we'll jump into the next topic. So stick with us for more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you refinance your home or investment property, lower your rate shorten your loan term or get out of your mortgage insurance call central coast lending today when you buy or refinance a home just call 543 loan just call 543 loan we're the mortgage experts on the central coast central coast lending the state of denial is a drag and a trial when i bought my cheap insurance should have known this day would come now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. 
Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks so much for being with us. It's 1027 on August 2nd. And uh, Dan and I are here um, just kind of trying to bring you guys up to speed. If there's anything that you uh, wish that you knew more about and think would make a good topic for the show, uh, you're always welcome to share that. You can send an email to us at um, email info at centralcoastlending.com. Or you can just give us a call. Um, one of the piece of feedback we get in our business is that uh, we're we're really um, just a couple of normal guys that run a business that um, does business the way we want to be treated. You know, if you call in with a, a concern or a, something you want to explore, a loan need that you have, um, we're going to get the right answers and help walk it out. Uh, what sets us aside from other lenders around um, you know, primarily that given that unique knowledge we have and a desire to be able to help as many people as we can, we've structured our business in a way that we have um, the loan products and offering um, of 50 different banks. So we, we, we didn't just take the road of just dropping into one bank product of our own that we sell for maximum profit. We can offer you anything that exists. So it, it is a lot of rare loan programs for um, even bizarre property types and situations with borrowers and credit and debt to income and all of those kinds of things that are an issue. Um, we try really hard to be able to fit uh, as many people as possible as we can into loan programs. And then we also offer the cookie cutter stuff at the best rate around. So we've, yeah. we've got it all depending on your situation. I forget to mention that. <laughs> I do. Uh, we, it, you know, it just, oh, we're going to get a little sidetracked again, but I have to say this right now. How is it that you can 
go to a middleman and actually save money. I, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. It's very counterintuitive, isn't there it? There aren't very many industries where you go, yeah, you know, I could drive right over to Albertsons, but instead I'm going to stop off over here at, at Dan's Grocery where I see him with Albertsons' cart full of stuff, right? So, well, but I, I like the grocery store analogy here. In fact, I'm going to run with that a little bit. It's the difference between going to Albertsons, where you think you just go to get loan, right? I just go to the bank. I go to the grocery store. It's what I do. But no, you can go to the farmer's market instead. We're kind of like the farmer's market. There you go. You're going direct to, well, I guess maybe we're like Albertsons, huh? No. Is my analogy messed up? No, because the farmer's market's significantly cheaper. It is. So in that part, we are like the farmer's market. I, I'm glad I'm glad that I inspire you to go for the analogies. They're a tricky thing. And every yeah. once in a while you can get ensnared. I think that one failed. I'll I'll complete my deal here is just to say that for number one, I, I like to pick on Wells Fargo not only because they suck, um, but they're right in town and everybody knows them. Um it's a terrible bank. Let's call a spade a spade. Everything about them's terrible. You get none of that uh that local good feeling. Dan's already like, why is he doing this again? I, I'm not a fan of the big banks, first of all. I like to bank the local banks. I like the banks where the profits of the banks stay local and the jobs here are local banks. Um, I also like the service of the local banks. I don't have to show, you know, five forms of ID and go through all this stuff. But I, I in jest, I say that Wells Fargo is a bad bank. But I just, that's not true, first of all. Let me just say this. Wells Fargo has a 10,000 plus square foot building in the heart of downtown and it's a beautiful building. They've got um, lots of great marketing. They've got a well-benefited, well-salaried staff. They've got a lot going on in there, and it's very expensive, and it has its place. I mean, that, that's necessary for their business to function. They have that. That's how it works. We sell Wells Fargo's loans. So the, here's the deal, though. When we go to Wells Fargo with a loan, they give us a lower rate than they offer out of their own branch. And the reason they do is I pay my own rent. I pay my own overhead. I pay my own benefits. I do. I do. I spend the time on the 37 minute phone call and the two hour meeting and the, you know, all the loan processing. I do all of that. And it's not on their watch. So they realize that we have a lower cost to initiate. I just want to ask you this, regardless of what industry you're in or where you work, don't you find that the smaller, the guy that's a little bit smaller in scale and a little more in tune with the profit and loss, he's a little bit more nimble and he's a little bit more careful and he's oftentimes he's more creative by design. He has to be. That's really what these big banks realize. So they allow us to sell their products um, to lower uh, lower rates and fees than they do their own loan officers. And that really does drive a Wells Fargo loan officer up a wall, by the way. I use Wells Fargo an example. They're one of any bank in town. We don't do business with them. And let me tell you why. We use banks that don't lose money on their fancy advertising and their big building downtown and their well-benefited employees. We use banks that are actually only mortgage banks. Because guess what? That free checking account you have, they lose money on that. You know where they make it? On your mortgage. So we go to a bank that doesn't have that free checking account. They don't have that loss leader. They have lower mortgage rates to begin with. So th these are companies that um, you've never even heard of. 
These are companies that are kind of existing simply by way of third-party originators, which is what we are, and and thereby inserting a middleman creates not only an access to a greater product offering, um, it creates ability to fit more of those niche things for unique properties, good or bad credit. Um, it also allows us to totally celebrate that person that has 70% equity and credit off the charts. We know where we can go with that. That is the best rate around. There's no arguing it. It's better than Quicken. It's better than Cash Call. Um, we prove it time and time again. So we constructed this company in a way to be able to do that. And um, it's, I always get caught on that soapbox. I love describing how it is you can hire a middleman like us and actually save money because it doesn't exist very many places. We've got another phone call, a caller waiting patiently. We've got Greg calling. Where are you calling from, Greg? Greg, are you there? <laughs> he lost interest in us. I don't know where I well, Greg we're missing Greg. Him. Greg, if you're out there, we were going to take your call. You can call back. All right. Can I can I do you one real quick? Sure. Because it's, it's right here on topic. I got an email right now while we're sitting here talking. I'm, I'm going to respond to the email, too, because I can't assume they're listening to the radio. Uh, but check this out. Said hi there. I'm writing you. I'm writing you because I know you have many rare loan programs. I'm currently working with Heritage Oaks Bank, but I figured I would try your business out um, for this property in particular. There's a five-acre property with a small fixer-upper house and another fixer-upper manufactured house on it. Um, it's been on the market for quite um, quite some time, in and out of escrow multiple times um, because of lenders not wanting to do the loan. There's a lot of other stuff in there, but that's the gist of it. So this is a great example of those things. Um, I have a few things to tell you about this. Number one, um, I, first of all, would look at this from a couple of different angles. First of all, who's selling this property and is there an opportunity there? Sometimes the thing turns out to be Fannie owned and you can do a home path loan where they don't even do an appraisal and you just breeze one through. Additionally, um, if it's not one of those special type of loans like that, um, sometimes you can do a loan for a strong enough borrower with a good enough down payment where they might even not require an appraisal, which would take the attention away from these things. Um, customarily for a, a lender of, of any size or scope, when you have a house, you're okay. And when you have just a manufactured home, you're okay. When you put the two of them onto one lot, it usually creates a real problem. Um, it was explained to me in underwriting early in my career that the reason is uh, manufactured housing actually has um, some language in there about protected classes, basically, because it generally is serving um, people of a lower income. And doing an eviction on somebody that's in a stick-built home versus a manufactured home is actually more difficult and can be harder and more expensive to do. I don't have any experience with that. Maybe that is, maybe it isn't true. Um, but the, the, the bottom line here is that having both of those on one property makes it um, 
very difficult to finance. There are some banks that we we keep approvals with that are willing to entertain ideas like that. It's fully a case by case. So um, those are the kind of things that that we'll look at and go into. But I thought it's just kind of timely though, because if you're just if if I just worked for who knows who bank in town, um, heck, Heritage Oaks. If they don't offer that, then what? Um, that's why I think our structure is superior. I got 50 different banks. If I go through my whole repertoire and get to the end and realize that um, I cannot place a loan, I'm pretty sure you're not lendable. That's that's really how I feel about that. Um, if you go to just Wells Fargo and they tell you no, I wouldn't suggest you should have any certainty in that answer at all. Um, I, I could almost, in fact, I'd go on. I'd go on record to say I think I could make a hefty living if if just the slow branch would give me only the loans they're unable to do at Wells Fargo. I think I could still uh, make a very good living just off of turning their nose into yeses. <laughs> Be a fun experiment. I'd um, love to try. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> get me in touch with their people. <laughs> I wanted to share one last bit of. Uh, of housing news and it has to do with the home ownership rate this is something that is it's important to pay attention to because as we know there's been this push to create the home ownership society right started, started out with that bill clinton guy didn't it <laughs> started out there um and and really this whole movement started by trying to offer the opportunity to own housing to the underserved it actually happened um I think long before somebody put a name on it, I would say the grandfather of this is probably FDR. And one of the big things is, is that, you know, you got people coming home from the war and what do you, if you want to grow a country of um, quality states, you got to go all the way down to the smallest building block, right? And that's great little neighborhoods and great little cities that are part of really quality counties that make up functioning states. How do you put together a city, um, a neighborhood full of people that care? They got to be staked in it. They got to own it. They got to have that pride of ownership and care about it. So it's long been the push. In fact, we made this one of the prerequisites for the American dream. One must own their slice of um you know this american dream and and so we pushed towards that with some pretty pretty strong might yeah and in 2004 the home ownership rate in the united states peaked at 69.4 percent and where did we find ourselves just that's, that's a d plus by the way <laughs> just recently <laughs> uh we found ourselves with a home ownership rate of 64.8 percent um, which is the lowest home ownership rate we've we've had since 1995. Um, it's not a huge change from the peak. No, that's a big difference, though. It is, and and yeah, as far as that metric's concerned, I mean, because you got to realize is that that not everybody wants to own, you know, all that kind of stuff, um, but creating that opportunity for the people that are willing that that's what this number is about. Let's go ahead and uh, take a phone call. Then we'll do our final break, and then we'll come back and wrap this pup together. Um, we got Greg Astle calling. Good morning. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Hey, I've got a couple of questions. Okay. Uh, first of all, Hot Tom, when did you change to the 9 to 11 slot? Just today. This First is the timer's first over here. Wild. 
Well, yeah. that's kind of cool. Yeah, we were trying to we we uh, yeah, and thank you for that, by the way, because we talked a lot about it during the first hour. But the people that tuned in at ten and probably don't even know that they're about to lose us in twenty minutes. We yeah. we kept the two hour time slot. We just bumped it forward one hour, um, and the idea was to chase out that um, colon cleansing stuff that's always in between us and motor mouths because. Um, you know, even myself on my drive into my own radio show, I changed the channel because I right. can't stand that crap. And then, um, I'm off the station now. So there could be something great on after me and I'll never know. So this way we figure we could kind of ride the tailcoats of the people that are coattails. <laughs> that's better. Um, that are listening to motor mouths and, um, you know, all that listenership and be able to just parlay that into the next couple hours, kind of having a, a a straight block of local radio. Good thinking. Good thinking. Uh, the kind of thinking I would expect to come out of Central Coast Lending. Hey, um, uh, Jason, you spoke, I can't remember if it was on the air or if you and I were talking, uh, I think it was on the air a week or two ago, you spoke about the possibility of a 40-year mortgage. Yeah. Is that is that for real? Is that a, a product that's being uh, created as we speak, or is it available, or is it on the horizon? Well, a 40-year mortgage has been... It, it It's not new. It's been something that's been offered, but because of the changes, the overhaul of mortgage, the mortgage industry that's gone on over the last five years, um, unfortunately, a term beyond 30 years is now being classified as a non-qualified mortgage. That's a feature that is considered non-qualified. So, you know, we're getting into a real technical term that I'm not sure a lot of people care about, but it's important to understand there are there are certain features that are perceived as risky by through uh, Dodd-Frank and the CFPB. They perceive these features as risky. One of the features, along with negative amortization and balloon payments and interest-only payments and prepayment penalties, they've included extended loan terms 40 and 50 year loan terms are perceived as risky and so if a bank or a mortgage bank decides to originate a loan that has a an extended loan term they have to maintain a stake in that loan for the life of the loan and ah. so that um, you know, a lot of banks aren't structured to maintain interests in mortgages for the life of the loan. They use their little bit of capital and they originate loans and then they go sell them on the secondary market, get their money back and then lend it right. all over again. And it's this this fast moving cycle when a bank has to maintain a stake in a 40 now 40 year mortgage. They've only got a limited amount of capital to do that. So at some point they run out. And that's why there's a little bit of hesitation to get into that. Yeah, uh, there are forty-year loans being offered today, by the way, and we have there banks are. They're that just will not allow as plentiful. them. They're, yeah, and because they're not allowed to be part of the same securities as the other loans, their interest rates are going to be higher to to warrant, you know, the origination, which would attract outside investors. I would right. be a proponent of forty and maybe even fifty-year loan terms, as long as their full principal and interest repayment terms. Are, are there? I, I don't think that's that in itself is a risky I want, feature. You want to know what I want to do? If I could write it, if I could write my own loan program today, sure. I'm going to write the payment option arm. I know you know what that is but by old definition. All principal and interest payments. That's right. But and I would give 40, every 30, month, 15. I would give my. Um, the, all the loans I serviced, I would give all of my clientele the option to say, hey, here's a 40 year option. 
Total of all payments are going to be X if you do this. Here's a 30-year payment. Total of all payments are going to be X if you do this one. Here's a 20 and here's a 15. And then people can sit down and sort of say, hey, let me be inspired now by the fact that the 15-year loan is going to cost me $250,000 of total all payments, whereas the 40-year loan is going to cost me $400,000 total of all payments. Adjust the budget and lifestyle necessary to accommodate what you need. But at the same time, why not allow somebody that flexibility where if you lose your job because we go through an economic cycle like we did, Maybe you need to drop back to the 40-year payment for this or a few years on in to, to get your act together and keep things happening. Um, we're, we're limited in what we're offered by just the single-term loan like that, and I, and I don't think that that fits. The, I mean, you're— Well, and we're talking about affordability. When we talked about you know the difference between buying in Las Vegas versus buying here on the Central Coast, or heaven forbid you go try to move to San Francisco and buy a house that's priced at $1,200 a square foot, the average Joe has, you know, is not able to afford that. In fact, the, the statistics suggest that over the entire country, housing is unaffordable for um, the majority of, of Americans out there. Half of people can't afford homes in the community they live in because housing is expensive. The cost to finance, even with these historically low interest rates, is expensive. In fact, there was a report this week that came from a company, um, not well known, the name of the company is Compass Point Research. They, they do um, statistical reporting on, on things related to banking and real estate. And they came out with some opinion this week that um, we're approaching some real affordability issues in this country, even with rates where they are, um, but because home prices have appreciated over these last couple of years, that real estate's really not affordable for a lot of people out there. So to create affordability with an extended term mortgage that's principal and interest, fixed rate, real safe repayment makes a lot of sense. And it matches today's building standards where homes last for more than 30 years. The 30-year mortgage was around when, you know, in the 20s or 30s, um, when that was kind of the, the expected life of a home. Today, homes, we know homes last a lot longer than 30 years. Is there, is there a statistic on how many uh, loans in this day and age actually go to term? Yeah. Well, it's like zero. <laughs> it's very few, although I would bet money that we're going to see, we're that gonna see go more the other loans way. go to 30 years now that people have locked yeah, in bet. their 3% rate. Yeah, you got a 3% 30-year fix. We're going to see a better occurrence of those going the whole way. But, you know, generally speaking, it's this is why mortgages are compared to the 10-year bond yield, because as an instrument for investment, that's about how long they stay on the books for the national average. So whether you refinance it or sell your house and get a new house. And, and by the way, uh, assumable loans are no longer really offered unless you're talking like an FHA loan. So it, it's one of these things where they the, the longest they're going to last is 10 years. Um, I hear it suggested that on, lately it's actually been closer to four years. Yeah. And that's, and that's really more of the historical average for the state of California. Um, 
I think nationally, they've said it's about seven years is the life of an average loan. And in California, it's closer to five years. And, you know, but I, I do think moving forward with people locking in these historically low rates that we're going to see loans go full term, yeah. probably. It's it's not going to be uncommon to see that. Yeah. Well, it just seems like, you know, uh, it seemed like the last time we came out of uh, the real estate recession, which was in the mid uh, the mid 90s, it seemed like there were some eventually some pretty creative loan products uh, came to the forefront that stimulated the, the market, and and actually that's created one of the big problems. That's when we started being able to borrow money on a signature and a good credit score. I say this, I say this the, all the time, and let me tell you what it is it's this is this is words to remember never ever underestimate self-preservation ever right. and the, the mortgage business has probably got to be one of the like the epitome of this um, and I want to give you a couple examples of things I learned just this week okay first of all credit score requirements for all of the government loan programs have been uh, there are banks now actively going down to 550. You have to do some pretty good work to land yourself a 550 credit score. I mean, pay some things late, get some collections, maybe even a bankruptcy, you're going to generally be above 550. Um, so the, we're dumbing those down. Um, on the 29th of July, so just a short three days ago, Fannie Mae came out and rewrote their foreclosure guidelines to be more lenient and go along with their bankruptcy seasoning, which is shorter than their foreclosure seasoning. So they're already helping try to bring new people to the table to buy. So I think in this, as we're working right now, we're, we've got a lot of new regulation. We got a lot of things going on. The guidelines are trying to figure out how to cast a bigger net and, and allow more people to qualify without removing the income verification and and you know the other things that that we removed in the 90s basically when we came out of that last recession we we invented negatively amortizing loans and made those pretty widespread and interest only loans and all these things uh, um, that were pretty exotic today i think we're going to we're going to see some of that but we're never going to give up the documentation requirements that we have today right well, it's interesting to imagine that uh, 40-year loan as being a product. I, I mean, it seems to me as a possible answer. If in, in the 40-year mortgages that are available now, you say the interest rate's higher, does the higher interest rate uh, basically cancel out the benefit of the 40-year payback schedule? No, it's still the you're still going to see some payment relief there. Um, yeah, but you know, 25% of uh, mortgage interest is paid in the first five years of a 30-year loan. Right. So it's it's that part of it that if you end up with um, a short term plan on a 40 year loan, the amount of monthly savings you get every month compared to that added cost of interest is it doesn't outweigh. Plus, it's always the case. The longer the loan term the higher um, delinquency occurrence, so the higher the interest rate, right? People will make you a loan for 10 years for less than they're going to make you a loan for 30 years. It also has to do with inflation. So the 40-year loans generally have a higher interest rate too. So you do have to give some really careful consideration to the trade-off of what does it reduce the payment by today amortizing over that 40 instead of that 30-year period? Um, and then what is the additional interest cost and in going at a higher rate over a longer term? And is that trade-off meeting the objectives of the household? 
Sometimes yeah. people are just in a pinch where they just need to save 400 bucks a month. And it's, it's not about adding that 10 years or not. It's about being able to survive today. And whether or not you think that's a good idea, um, maybe those people are able to save 400 bucks by going into a 40 year loan, but that 400 bucks, now they can afford to establish a retirement plan. I mean, right. we know today that less than 50% of people are even able to save towards retirement. Yeah. Um, some of these numbers are staggering about people that are in their 60s and still don't have any retirement set aside. So I think it's about time to retool those things and figure out some logical, up-to-date ways and loan programs to help create some affordability that isn't by way of negative amortization or government stimulus or anything like that. How about a, just a little bit longer uh, amortization period to create affordability? Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for the show, and good luck on your new time slot. All right. Thanks. All right, Greg. Have a good one. Yeah, I think to, you know the forty-year term. Think about it. We've been we've been working on thirty-year mortgages as the standard in the mortgage industry since Fannie and Freddie came about in the '30s, or, Fa or Fannie came about in the '30s. Freddie came about much later. Things have changed over the last 80 years. Uh, uh, you know what? I want to just stop you right there and tell you the first thing that jumps out at me that's changed. People are living longer. People live longer. People They're work working longer. longer. Um, the and, house lasts longer. Yeah. And, well, and we know, drive through downtown San Luis Obispo, when we wrote these programs years and years and years and years ago, the building um, codes and methods and materials in a lot of cases, it was like, well, this house is probably going to make it 40 or 50 years um, before you're going to have to do major renovation. Today, we see people jack them up and redo the foundation, all new electrical, all new plumbing, state-of-the-art this, state-of-the-art that. We And based on Prop 13, that's what keeps people doing this kind of stuff is go through, remodel what you got and bring it up to speed. That old home, in fact, is celebrated for its character and charm. We're not just scraping them off the way that we feared we would when we invented the 30-year loan term. There's so many reasons it makes sense that I... I really wish that we could appeal to the knuckleheads on Capitol Hill that made this part of the uh, illegal loan type. The only reason that I can think that it's viewed as predatory is because more interest is being collected Correct. over a longer period of time. But and, and so but that but that's like putting the band-aid on like the you know the bypass incision is we actually need to take responsibility for ourselves and what we know about making these big financial decisions. Decisions. And, you know, some stricter licensing requirements on the people that are allowed to well, sell these things. But just making a blanket statement that you're not allowed to do that because some people are going to misuse it or some people aren't going to understand it. Um, that that's not the right way to do it. Well, and I, I look at the actual practice of American homeowners who finance their home purchase look at i mean we said it earlier the average loan stays on the book for five to seven years depending on where you are in the country and and you said it that the majority of mortgage interest is paid in the first five years of a 30-year mortgage so people in practice over the past 80 years have proven that they don't mind paying interest on mortgages they care about affordability well, and because they'll refinance that loan every five to seven years or they'll move every five to seven and years since so when are we concerned about protecting the consumer from interest 
<laughs> since 2008, my friend. It makes this world go round. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> funny. Yeah, it. it I, I see a fixed rate, fully amortized, extended term loan being a safe answer to affordability issues that seem like they're not going anywhere, at least when you're on the coast. Maybe it's a little different when you're in places like Las Vegas or anywhere in the middle of the country where home values are just more affordable. When you're in California, where we are in the central coast and things are expensive and it seems like there's no opportunity for a young family, first time home buyer to, to own a home, something like a 40 year mortgage is a great answer. Um, we'll see if, if that ever gets uh gets a little more legs i heard gets... yeah i i heard that uh, um that congress actually they're encouraged to listen to mortgage matters <laughs> hey there's uh, do we even have time we're like so out of maybe we should have just can't, is it even an option for us just to keep going to our 12 o'clock in time uh <laughs> no no that's that huh <laughs> um all right well a couple of other things that i was dying to share here first of all in light of everything that we've talked about, the jobs report, what's going on in housing, um, how the the Fed and their monetary policy is influencing everything, I want to leave you guys with a little palate cleanser here of some good news. Consumer confidence surged to its highest level in seven years this month. Um, so basically what you need to know about that is that um, even if you're not more confident, the people that surveyed that were surveyed sure are. They're feeling better about the prospects of their employment, opportunity for advancement. They're feeling better about the overall economy and the direction that we're headed in. And in a country where GDP, 70% of our GDP is made on consumer spending, we spend money when we're feeling good and confident. Um, so it's not much of a surprise to show that um, GDP report is plus 4% right now. We're going to hopefully make up the kind of bummer first quarter that we had with some good numbers in the second quarter. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is, is that we see improvement. We've been doing this radio show now for six years. We see things getting better. We're going to continue to monitor and track it for you guys. Please don't forget that the reason that we're here is to share a, a, just a piece of our resume with you and, and an attempt to develop some credibility so that when you, a friend or a family member, are looking for home financing counsel or advice that you'll come to us and let us help you. Uh, you can find us on the web. We're at centralcoastlending.com. We've put a great deal of time and energy into our website. It's not just some cookie cutter thing with little value. If you go there, you're going to find things that you'll enjoy that will help you. And then uh, call us this week. Let us help you with whatever your loan needs are. Number to all of our offices is one number. It's 543-LOAN. That's easy to remember. 543-LOAN. Give us a call. We'll be back next week for another episode of Mortgage Matters. Thanks so much for being with us.